once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows, one of the shows that we have up on air and online 24-7 here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. It is uh, Tuesday, the 10th of October in the year 2023, and here in the lower Hudson Valley, no, the sun hasn't even it hasn't even thought of, uh, of, of cracking its way into uh, pre-dawn just yet. It will, I imagine, very shortly. Maybe even, uh, maybe even the reflection of the light on, the interior light on the windows is, is keeping me from seeing what, what beginnings of dawn there might be. Uh, we went through a period uh, with the show, oh, it's got to be at least a couple of years now where I, I suddenly found myself uh, remembering some old Greek stuff. Uh, one of the things that we did in high school was uh, take Homeric Greek, something that I, I don't think anyone, pretty much no one, is taking anymore. Latin, yes, to some extent. You see Latin being taught in schools, but I, I, I come from that ancient tradition uh, the old uh, uh, prep school tradition, I guess you could call it. Uh, I, I, I don't think I went to anything. It, it was not be called a prep school, but it was, well, at the time, uh, high school, the, what I went to uh, was considered, and I'm proudly saying it, the top high school in the country, uh, a place called Regis High School in Manhattan. And uh, Greek and Latin was the uh, was the uh, you know the, the diet, as it were. Uh, we we basically understood, or you, you remember at this stage in your life that uh, Latin was all about uh, uh, things, and Greek was all about science. Uh, Latin was the was the root of so many of the romance is what is the root of the romance languages, and you can recognize so much of what we say and recognize in terms of just standard nouns. Uh, Greek, on the other hand, seemed to have been applied in scientific sort of ways. Uh, but the stuff that I was remembering, the, the, the Homeric Greek that I kind of was uh, regurgitating a little while back there, uh, I, I don't think it had anything to do. Well, I, I'm looking at the words now. I have them printed over here. Uh, I don't think I see anything in uh, science or anything else in them. Uh, there, it's, it's, it's three words out of a longer sentence. It's a uh, Phane rhododactylos eos. But what did he say? What, 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 what? It's, uh, you know, it's early in the morning. He said it was early in the morning. Maybe he hasn't quite awakened up yet, but phane rhododactylos eos. The typical translation that you get in English of that, and, this, and by the way, this is out of Homer's, Homer's uh, Odyssey. The, the, um, the return, it's the return trip 
that was taken by, a by Achilles back to, uh, back to Greece after the Trojan Wars. And he, or Homer, who, who wrote this, whoever Homer was, we, we don't know. There are many theories about whether there was a single guy named Homer or uh, was it a bunch of people and ultimately a tradition sprung up and this extended series of spoken or sung poems that ultimately came down to us as the Iliad and the Odyssey uh, the, the wars and the return home from the war, uh, the, the Trojan War. Uh, but we don't know. We don't know if this is the product of one person's hand or not. It, it, it's, there's certainly uh, a certain continuity to it the way it appears right now, the, the versions that have come down to us in the Homeric Greek. And, and the way Homer used this expression, whoever he or they were, um, was whenever there was something on the verge of, when, when something was about to change, it always began with a lovely, rosy-fingered dawn. And, and, and uh, in, fact, in fact, he didn't even say the word dawn. Eos was a, a goddess. Uh, and, and, and it was the goddess of, of dawn, of light, etc. But, well... I'm getting way deep in the weeds here. But phanerodactylus aeos, uh, the, the rosy-fingered dawn appears is what it comes down to. And you knew, or after a while you knew, that something was about to happen. Uh, there, there might be a shipwreck. The cyclops was going to happen. The sirens were going to sing. Some kind of challenge was going to befall the, 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 the stragglers returning back uh, from Troy uh, un until uh, you know, Achilles could uh, finally uh, reunite with the fair... Uh, Faithful Penelope waiting for him back there, retake her back from the suitors, slay all the evil men who, who really pretty much had every reason to imagine he had already died. It had been years now since he'd been, he'd been away, but he has to do what a hero has to do and ultimately makes everything right. But, 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 the, but the point here is that there was always this hint of some change, and, and change, frequently not pleasant change, came with a, a rather benign kind of a manifestation, a rosy-fingered dawn. Lovely. I mean, you, you, you've seen them. You, you, you know what that could look like. Uh, I've, I associate that largely here uh, in the Hudson Valley with uh, winter weather. Uh, when the leaves are down on the trees, you can look down towards the Hudson as dawn is rising. Now, now by the way, the first, the first breaks of, uh, of uh, not rosy finger, but the first, first morning light is just showing up in the sky right now, <clears throat> which is kind of nice, the pre-dawn pre light. And uh, as, as you get that first... Uh, real glow of morning, there is this pinkish tint 
again, this is all a function of the angle that the sun is shining through the atmosphere. But there is this pinkish tint. And I, I just allow myself to drift back to Frane Rhododactylos Eos. That's it. It's, it's the rosy-fingered dawn coming. And as lovely as it is, though, cemented in my brain with those words is, and something else is going to happen. It's, it's a prelude. Uh, the way Homer has it set up, it's really the, the calm before the storm quite often. It, it, the storm may bring positive results and ultimately does. But there's a whole bunch of rosy-fingered dawns that have to take place before we can get to something positive. And there are any number of times when having read as far as you've read in the story, there is this sense that there, there's just no way that, that the, the, this thing is ever going to end well. Well, it does. But boy, there's a hell of a, a, a bunch of twists and turns and, 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 a, and a whole bunch of what would appear to be hopeless, I mean absolutely hopeless situations that the hero and others have to go through before there is what, well, I guess by the time you've, you've gone through all the loss and all the pain, do, do you still call that a happy ending. I I don't know, but it is a it's a it's a better ending. And at no point in the Odyssey are you able to really look at this story and say I know for a fact that this is going to end up well. It's 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 not there. Well, Okay, if 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 you you know if you if you allow yourself to really get immersed in it, if you you know obviously you're it's a, it was assigned to you in class you have to read it you pretty much have gone and read the cliff notes on it as it were what was cliff notes you've gotten a sense of what it should be if you had a certain translation of certain uh, a certain number of lines had to be translated for the next day's class well you did your translation and uh, you basically you could jump ahead you knew where the story went. But if you were living it, I mean, that's asking quite a bit. If you were living it, could you, as Achilles, <clears throat> um, imagine that this would ultimately end well and Achilles loses heart many times or appears to really, really, uh, he falters, but in the end, he buoys himself up with this belief in, and, and, and he is often buoyed up by the gods, as it were, and his, his faith, his willingness to, to trust that it's both his, it is his fate as well as his faith that this will end as it should and as it should will be a good thing, but ultimately it will be in the hands of the gods. 
All, all of this is thrown in there. So, so you, get, you get a whole, a whole uh, uh, subcourse in Greek philosophy and maybe theology, if you will, uh, in, in going through this. But it's also a, a real internal visitation of how this guy thinks and, and how Greeks thought because this was the national poem of the country. By, by, the time, by the time of the Greek golden age, by, by the middle of the 5th century BC, with Athens ascendant and, and all of the great Greek culture and everything that ultimately we look at, look back to, and say, this became us here in the West. Even Rome looked to Greece. All of that, that whole Greek civilization, everything, everything that would become Western civilization culminated in the golden age of Greece 2,500 years ago. And ultimately, through any number of, of, of missteps and goof-ups and, and screw-ups and, and positive things and everything else. And, you could, and if you've ever bought one of those, um, I know the Museum uh, of Modern Art in New York, uh, no, 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 the Metropolitan Museum of Art had this wonderful um, history of the world. And it was, like, it was an overlay of the history of art and the history of the world. And you folded this thing out. It was a, it was a laminated color thing. And you pulled it out. And, and when it was all pulled out, it was probably, oh, I don't know, six feet or more long. And it was really kind of a, a timeline, almost a, Gantt, a illustrated Gantt chart of of the things that were happening uh, throughout history and all leading up to the present. You could go back to uh, Egyptian art, you can go back to Neolithic art and basically watch that and the history of the world, how people expressed themselves, expressed the things that were happening through their art. And I, I was. I remember having one of these. I remember uh, it was rather kind of cool and smart to buy or have one of these. Probably I got one back in the seventies, and just browsing this thing, running through it, looking at the history of the world, and watching civilizations come and go, and. Ultimately, well, because it, can't, it wasn't going to go beyond the present, our civilization, Western civilization, or Western civilization and the other civilizations that are growing with it are the result of everything that came before. It's, it's, it's hard to miss the cause and effect nature of human history. And, and, and it's a fascinating journey. Um, it's, it, it takes away much of the sting, one would imagine. I mean, I mean talking about the, the, the Black Plague in the context of, of the Renaissance or, or talking about um, the fall of Rome in the context of, uh, or seeing the connection between that 
and where we wind up today in a positive sense, watching the Byzantine Empire rise, watching the rise of Islam, watching how that affected Western Europe and then that re rebalances it, and, and seeing almost as though it all works out, how, how can I say this, for the best? Is, is that the term I want to use? But it works out. Somehow we, we've managed to work it all out. And, and there's one thing towards the far right-hand side of that, of that accordioned map of the world. I, I hope some of you might have a, a, a visual point of reference for what I'm referring to. But it's art and history in this accordioned out thing. It, it must be six feet long and it's narrow. I, I, I doubt if it's more than about uh, a foot wide. I don't even think it's a foot wide. But you can lay it out. And I forget if it was printed front and back, but it was laminated, certainly. So, you know, you could look at this for years to come. I'll bet, if, I'll bet I have my copy of this thing tucked away someplace. When, when you get to the atomic bomb, when you get to Hiroshima, that, that's a real key point, a stopping point in development. And, and the changes coming from there are a shift in the strength of Europe to America completely at that point. And the... Initially a drop and then a pickup in Asian culture. And it's sort of a, and I, they sort of leave Islam at a, it, it's, it's sort of hanging out there with Western development. And there's no great moment of resolution. I guess that's what I'm, what I'm getting to here. The present the absolute present, and by the way, this map, I think, like I say, it may have ended, uh, for purposes of the map that I had, it may have ended 40 years ago, 50 years ago. But, if, but I'm mentally extending it outward. And if you could look back far enough, yeah, you, you could go from one point in the past to another point in the past, have at least 50, you know, 500 years in between, and maybe there's some sense of resolution or how things are supposed to work out, and you get that sense in looking at it. But if you go from any point in the past to just the present, whatever the map, whatever this map showed, this, this, this diagram showed to be the present, there is no real sense of resolution. And I would contend that if I had an updated version of this map to take it to today, right up to today, there would be even less of a sense of conclusion or resolution. I, I, I say all this... Um, in the context of, of what promises to be a major part of our story going forward in the not distant future. It, it, is, it is already, I think, beginning to change the path of, of things right now in the present. But this was the 
uh, invasion of uh, southern Israel by, uh, by followers, uh, by, by members of Hamas, by their more radical, radicalized group. So far, as, as, I, as I say these uh, words on the, on the 10th of October in 2023, well over a thousand Israelis have been killed. Fewer, uh, fewer Gaza residents have been killed. Israelis, something, the, the estimates are somewhere around uh, at least several dozen have been taken hostage back into Gaza. The, the invasion uh, across the border fence, there's no huge wall as there is uh, further north, but, but the, the fence that, that, that basically uh, blocks in, holds in the residents of Gaza in this little, in this strip, in this area uh, that they are permitted to occupy by Israel. I, you, you can hear uh, uh, a certain tone to my voice about the way I'm saying that. Many people, not, not inaccurately, have referred to it as a, an imprisonment. The, certainly the Gazans uh, refer to it as an imprisonment. Uh, there has been no real uh, effort made by Israel and arguably not really, uh, no real, uh, is it no efforts made by Hamas? I, I, I suppose you can, you can say that as well, but it just, the, the, the parties to this, Israel and Hamas, uh, just have not really gotten anywhere near what they should be doing in order to resolve this. And tensions within Gaza, within the Palestinian community, within this this trapped, literally quite trapped group area because these people, these Palestinians, really are not afforded free movement anywhere. Much, if they're going to go into Israel, it's under every conceivable limitation, I imagine. Uh, the, the working, the, if they have work permits or however this might work out, but much of the Gazans down there, that group there is not, it's really the West Bank people that seem to be going back and forth. The Gazans are, as I understand it, and we have some Israeli friends, as I understand it, it's like, it's just this thing that Israel just damn well doesn't want to deal with. It's, it's, it's just this intractable situation. You have this, this hostile force within Hamas that really just doesn't, trust doesn't want to deal with Israel and yet there's a need to resolve this and the Israelis don't really want to deal with Hamas and they just it, it's and it just goes on and and it, it, it eventually inflames and there are uh, eventually there's rocket attacks that are sent off and and eventually there's some form of retaliation and technically the land really is still Israel's and and it, it happens every so often once a decade or so things get nasty but then it kind of goes 
back to status quo and everybody kind of, uh, you know, crosses their fingers and, and the communities, the Israeli communities that are down there in, 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 in the southern part of Israel, you know, flush against this border area with Gaza, just go on living. There's, there's, almost, a, there's almost a defiance I guess that, in fact, not almost, there's a defiance of the reality just, just inches away from them in some cases, but, but just, you know, within a mile or so of wherever they are, that there's a whole different world that is fenced in. Now, I'm trying not to sound anti-Israeli or pro-Gazan or in either direction. There are Errors and mistakes, of course, yes, if we, if we have our, our, our timeline map, we go, back to, um, we go back to 1947, 1948, and essentially Israel takes over Palestine and becomes Israel. God gave this to us. Palestinians, um, I'm afraid God, yeah, you may have been here for a few thousand years, but God has given us this land. This is our promised land, and it's a tough way to begin a country. But there was a country begun, and of course it began with war, and there, were, and there was the war in 68, and then there was the war in, well, the war, the, the, the attack in 73, 50 years ago. Israel has managed to hold on and to survive. Well, speaking of the, uh, you know, the, the 68 war, of course, Israel basically attacked and, and, and was able to stop all of the harassing that was happening with Egypt, and, and, and that created uh, a peace with Egypt. They had to respect this little country, and uh, and that resulted in uh, well, it, it resulted in political assassinations. It resulted in all sorts of things. But there was peace, at least with Egypt. And there is a suggestion now that what just happened in in Gaza, what what really set this off, was the fact that Saudi Arabia was putting out. Uh, Feelers, or 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 th th there were voicings coming out of Saudi Arabia, not the sweetest bunch of guys in the world, that Saudi Arabia might, this huge neighbor of Israel's, might finally be on the verge of recognizing Israel as well. And the Saudis have been outlawed. Now, now you have to start getting into the whole uh, the whole interplay of Middle Eastern states and cultures and and power centers in Iran and Iraq and everything else and and what would happen if the, if the Saudis recognized formally recognized Israel what would that do to the balance of power what what would that do to the internal power structures of any number of countries who depended on this constant level of antipathy to keep you get that so with Saudi Arabia on the verge of perhaps recognizing Israel's right to exist. Wow. Geez, only, only 75 years later. Well, okay. Okay. And, and all of us having to sort of, I suppose, accept the fact that 
what happened 75 years ago and is obviously uh, uh, difficult and impossible and unfair and wrong about what happened to the Palestinian people at that time was 75 years of the state of Israel should have been enough time for the parties to resolve their differences and make something work. It hasn't been. There have been little changes, well, big changes, but not, not, but not resolved changes, not, not to the benefit, certainly, of the Palestinian people. The whole notion of the two-state solution and all that came, went, drifted away. Benjamin Netanyahu in there right now under all kinds of criminal probes and, and going hard line and sounding sort of like, a, well, if you sound like Trump, anyone else in the world is probably, I was going to say, an intelligent version of Trump, but so be it. And he's at the helm right now. And, and the biggest thing that, that is affecting all of this and the Israeli people is the realization that they had no damned idea it was about to happen. This, this, is the real, this is the real kick in the teeth. That no one really seemed to see this coming. And to have the hundreds, some estimate thousands of, of Gazans who made it across the border, who shot, no, maybe not thousands, but many hundreds of Gazans, Hamas, Hamas militants, who were committed to going and shooting up and killing as many Israelis as they could, and then targeting certain people to be taken back as hostages. To do that, to do it on as massive a scale as they did, and to do it as equipped as they did, to precede it by the thousands of mortar rounds, of the rocket rounds that were fired into Israel, and, and to do it as, as pre precision, precisely, this was this was something that had been planned in detail for a hell of a long time. I mean, we're talking months, if not years, of pre-planning to get to this point. And it's no surprise, given the penchant to uh, look at anniversaries and to remember the past and to regurgitate the past with all its anger and its fury, that this attack across the border, across the Gaza border, uh, happens almost 30, uh, sorry, 50 years to the day of the Yom Kippur War, the 1973 war, which nearly, nearly ended the existence of the state of Israel. That's how badly the combined attack that basically came in at Israel, that's how badly it affected. Israel ultimately fought the battle and and drove the attackers back but not without major losses at the time these losses in terms of the civilian losses are turning out to be just about as bad as 1973 some have said it's ultimately going to be worse what did not happen in 73 is that dozens of Israeli hostages were pulled back across the border. Yes, Egypt, Israel retaliated in 73, finally got its act together. They were taken by surprise then. 
Uh, Netanyahu is going to have a hell of a lot to answer for. The Israeli defense forces are going to have a hell of a lot to answer for. The country of Israel is traumatized. I can, we spoke to a friend of ours uh, who's back in, uh, where is her family? Her family is in Haifa. She was with her mom in Haifa. And she, my, well, my wife spoke to her just to see what was going on. And she says that we are nothing short of terrorized right now. We are absolutely, you, you, she goes, I, I, I cannot describe to you. She goes, I've, I've been through all sorts of situations. And, and, and this woman that we know lives here in New York and but goes back and forth. Her mom has stayed in Israel over the years, goes back to visit. She's an American citizen here, but her mom, her mom is an Israeli, stays there. And she happens to be visiting her when all this happened. And she said, I've seen a lot. I've been through, uh, on, on the periphery of all kinds of wars and attacks and everything else, internal and blah, 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 blah. I, she goes, I've never, never experienced the level of fear and anxiety that is now going through, rushing through Israeli society on all levels. This is the worst I've ever seen. She is a woman uh, in her late 60s the worst she has ever seen. And she goes, this is, this is commonly accepted. And I think part of the conversation my wife had with her was what is going to happen? Where do you see this going? Where does anyone see it going? The only thing people can look for and ask for is the restoration of some kind of sense of peace and security, but no one is certain at this point that that's even possible because the way this has been manufactured by Hamas, now if retaliation is taken against uh, Gaza, and there have already been bombing raids, many, many uh, bombing raids, now, Hamas has announced, they did last night, I don't know, you know how, how, where it's gone since then, but we got it last night on American television, that if there is any further bombing of any target containing civilians, and, and there was sort of the cloudy uh, clarification of that statement, that without proper warning, I think that's, that was kind of implicit in the statement, then Hamas will publicly, on video, and release it to the world, execute one hostage for every Israeli attack that is done. And this is just after Netanyahu announces that the courtesy of letting uh, Hamas know that we are about to bomb a target. In the past, Israel has always kind of put a message out, letting people know that if we're about to bomb your, your apartment block or something, uh, your building, uh, you'll know about a half an hour or an hour in advance so that you can get the hell out before we destroy everything around you. Netanyahu announced that, is, that, that courtesy, that courtesy is no longer to be extended to Hamas. We are going to inflict damage on you, the likes of which that it, it, 
it, it, it sounded like something you would get in an announcement coming from uh, Kim Jong-il. That, that, that's, that's what it sounded like. That level of translated apocalyptic damage about to happen. You, you know the type of messages that Kim puts out towards the West, that sort of thing. And, and that's what Benjamin Netanyahu said to the Palestinians, to Hamas in Gaza, holding now, holding Israeli hostages. And the response was, well, you'll watch one of them die, one after the next, if you do the same thing. And, and, and that's, in my mind, kind of where it's at right now. Okay, Netanyahu, I realize you're playing to your home audience now. You've been essentially, you've had your, you've had your butt kicked. You've basically proven that you had no idea what the hell was going on down there. The, the, the security forces were utterly and completely unprepared. You have watched more Israeli civilians killed than in the whole, I think, of the 1973 war. That was primarily among the military. But you've watched civilians, and now you've watched dozens of people taken across the border as hostages. You don't know where they are. I heard an, I heard an interview yesterday on, on, on national public radio with a spokesperson for the Israeli government, a woman, I, I, I don't recall her name, and she was very honest in saying, we don't know the numbers. We don't know where the, the hostages are. We don't know, we don't know that we've, I can't tell you, she says, that we've stopped, that we've controlled the entire incursion at this point in from Gaza. I can't say for sure that there are no more fighters on the ground still fighting with Israelis or, or attacking Israelis across the border. I can't tell you that. This is like 48, 72 hours after the primary attack. This is how completely unprepared and how completely ridiculous you translate this politically into what Netanyahu looks like to the Israeli people right now. Well, who also, by the way, all want one thing more than anything, make us safe. Okay, I, 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 yeah, I don't like you, Benjamin. I, I, I'm not crazy. You know, uh, I'm not crazy about you, uh, BB. You, you are a crook. I, I know you deserve blah blah blah. And I know you were trying to change the constitution, change the judicial order, so that you would have over. Forget all that. Make us feel safe in our home. Our friend there with her mom. Dear God, let us feel safe. But at a moment. Where here's 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 the here's the stakes. Bibi Benjamin Netanyahu says we are going to to destroy you in a way that you will never, it will be of apocalyptic consequences or, or like I say you know Kim Jong Ilish language to that effect that you will we are going to beat you so badly that you will never ever even consider doing this again. Well, to do that, you'll probably have to kill, I don't know, some multiple of a thousand uh, or, or, or 1,200 uh, Gazans to, I guess, because, well, let's see, how many Gazan lives equal an Israeli life? And, 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 and that, that, the ante is raised by, by Hamas saying, well, do something like that or any, begin doing it. And every time you begin doing something like that, in other words, unannounced raids on civilian targets, 
we will publicly, with, with broadcasts of the world, execute an Israeli. We know how sensitive you are to the notion of bringing back hostages, dead or alive. Well, guess what? You'll ultimately have to bring them back dead if you keep this up. And we've got a bunch of them. We've got women, we've got children, we've got men, we've got everybody, we've got soldiers. Boy, have we got, we, we can go and pick and choose and decide who would be the proper person to execute at this, what, what, would, be a pro, what would be an appropriate person to execute today? And there's no solution. No one is talking about Wait a minute, here's the moment, this is the moment. Look, look at how far we've gone. Look at how ridiculous this situation is. Look at how much damage we've done. Look at how much more we could do. Wait a minute, hang on, hang on. This is nuts. No one trusts the other side. No foundation has been laid to basically begin a negotiation process. That foundation has been ripped away, and there doesn't seem to be, there don't seem to be any actors out there with the foresight to recognize that you can't physically beat one side or the other into submission because both sides are beyond their own physical self linked to allies that are in proxy uh, verbal or, or Cold War sort of uh, positions facing one another. And if one side or the other appears to be in mortal danger, this will trigger something more. If you could stand at 50,000 feet and look down and look at it through history and look through 75 years back and, and maybe another thousand, if, if that map were extended out, if the, if the Metropolitan Museum map were extended out and maybe if it, it was 20 or 30 feet long and it only dealt with Semitic life, life, uh, the, the Arabs and the Israelis and, and what became the Christians eventually, uh, if, if it just looked at Semitic history, we would see that eventually there has to be some accommodation. There was accommodation between Muslims and Jews for a, a substantial part of, uh, of, of, of a century or two or three. There was a, a tolerance, yes. When the Muslims were in control, this is during part of the Moorish occupation, there was a relative period of peace. I know that no one wants to hear or understand this. But then when they're finally kicked out of southwestern uh, Europe and everything in southern Europe uh, uh, around the end of the 15th century, around 14, around the time that Columbus comes to America, the Moors are finally kicked out of, out of, out of Europe and, and driven back to Africa. And this is after several hundred years. But there were, there were moments, there were periods of accommodation, of cultural acceptance. And arguably, much of the Renaissance is based on 
and I, again, I don't, I don't know if this, this is a radical sort of a, a, you know, a theory, but much of our renaissance is based on a period of relative peace and, 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 and tranquility and, and, and cultural exchange between Muslim, Jewish, and Christian sources, but always, always this simmering uh, bit going on in the background, which ultimately leads to the expulsion of the Moors uh, from Spain. I think it's in 1492 or three, somewhere around there. As Columbus is sailing, Ferdinand and Isabel. Oh, and also that began the Inquisition also. Another little joyful step, you know, and uh, now that we have the Muslims out, let's deal with the Jews. So are you in or are you out? Oh, you're, out. you're in? Uh, good, you convert. If you're out, oh, well, either you leave or, well, we may have to basically put you on the rack and burn you or do something ridiculous. The, the, the song, When Will They Ever Learn, comes to mind. Uh, where have all the flowers gone? The Kingston Trio back in the 60s, late 50s, early 60s. And it's around, it, it, it's where have all the flowers gone, blah, 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 where have the young girls gone, where have all the young girls gone, blah, 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 gone, to, gone to grave, where have the, where the soldiers, the soldiers to grave, where have, all this, where have all the graves gone, gone to flower, when will they ever learn? It's, it's around, it just, it just goes in a circle. When will they ever learn? Well, again, it's asking the question. You have to ask the question before you begin to pose the answer. Uh, we, we had a, we had an amazing lunch yesterday with some of my very dear friends from Regis, the same guys that I studied Greek and Latin with. We're still a bunch of us. We, long of the tooth sorts, are, are still together and had a lovely lunch in the city yesterday. And the questions about so much of this were posed to uh, someone who you've heard on these airwaves, on this digital channel, on Central Left Radio, uh, in, under the guise of what we call Noble Hearts Forums, a bunch of, a bunch of these smart guys that I went to, to high school with, getting together and discussing stuff, the world. And it kind of turned into that yesterday. There were six of us sitting at, uh, we were, where were we yesterday? We were uh, in Bryant Park yesterday. And... A, a, someone who was well known to you from these microphones uh, and who one anticipates being the guy who would have a handle on it was, was remarkably, surgically precise in laying out what the problems were on both sides. And he did this Ukraine-Russia, uh, Israel-Hamas, Israel and I might have picked one or two other conflict spots, but... When the, when the question was posed, and, well, and then, well, what do we do to resolve it? The answer came back to, well, there's no faith, either side. No, neither side in, in both of the described sets of conflicts, Ukraine-Russia or, or uh, Gaza-Israel, uh, Gaza neither side has anything like the requisite level of willingness or, or even the, the preliminary faith, hope, if you will. Hope, is I guess that is it. No one can imagine the possibility of there not being a conflict. Even if when you get down to the individual level, when you talk to the daughter of a woman who is still in Israel and a friend of ours and say, what do, we want to feel safe. 
We need safety. Can, can you, could you go the next step? And, and, and I know this, the conversation wasn't ready for that at the, at the moment, but the next step is, do you have any hope that that could happen? And, and if you have hope, could you imagine someone on the other side having hope? Yes, what happened a few days ago may have been a total shock, but it's within the context of an ongoing hopelessness, or if you're an Israeli, a refusal to accept the possibility that there could ever be good faith on the other side, a, a different form of hopelessness, a, a, a willingness to ignore, to not see, to just assume that we can just somehow maintain the status quo, and a bunch of people on the other side of a fence, essentially in a relatively large prison yard, if you will, called the Gaza, will somehow be able to survive without, with, with their version of hopelessness. It's, it's both sides are hopeless because hope would drive people to do something in the way of resolution. But we know what might happen if there's resolution in one part. Well, people who depend on hopelessness, like Iran and, 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 and other forces who, who politically need a, a, the level of conflict there in, in pro, for proxy purposes, th there has to be the imbuing of hope. Hope has to come to the region. How does it come? If, 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 if the brightest mind, one of the brightest minds that I know, could see no pathway, not, not even lay out a pathway to it yesterday when we were talking, just, just simply as far as anyone could go, as far as he could go, was to lay out how damned ugly the whole situation is. How do you get from that? And when we've, in our own lifetimes, have watched this thing cycle over and over and over and over, the anger, the explosion, anger, explosion, anger, explosion, and it just, and it never, ever, ever, ever seems to be, get anywhere near resolution. It was, when we, what we watched back, you know, back in Jimmy Carter and the whole, and the whole peace between uh, the Egyptians and, and the peace treaty that was signed back when and everything, and we saw that that's, but it was a start. And that peace is, basically held the Egyptian, the Egyptian uh, Israeli peace. It could, it could work. It could happen. It would be messy. But, but no one is willing to engender, no one's willing to elevate the hope, to try imagining peace. And you see, hope and the peace and everything that comes from it isn't just going to come down and slap people in the head. It's going to have to be actively sought. And, and this comes down to the fundamental nature of what we all are again. And again, this is not an answer, but it's the pathway. There must be a choice. We, we are creatures of both love and fear. Okay, Love and hope basically are, are the same four-letter word, just different ways of saying the same thing. I, at least that's, that's, that's how I use it. To hope is to love, to love is to hope. 
all both require one another. You you cannot you cannot basically uh, express love slash hope without without suppressing fear. Somewhere in that equation, the process of being of of selecting love and hope, not being enamored, but actually choosing hope, there is simultaneously an active, maybe, maybe involuntary, maybe not, not planned, but you must, one must, I must, we must suppress fear. And it's, it's a natural thing. It's, it's part of how we're all constructed. Our souls, the stuff, the, the, the integrated energetic package that defines each of us. The thing that survives us. Now how, and I'm not going to get into theology and, and, uh, and, and energy politics, if you will, but, but we, with that soul, being sentient beings, we can choose. We can choose love and hope over fear. And it's only when there is a surfeit, an excess, well, only when the, when, when, when the balance is tipped by, by suppression of fear, the balance of what we are and what we mostly are, we create an excess of hope and love. It's only in that atmosphere that people will begin to do the things, and they'll do them quite naturally, that would be required to stop conflict and hate and fear. And, and, and it all goes back to one rule. And, I, and I've expressed this in my writings, and I, it comes up, and this is the time for it to come up again. It's simple, really. There's only one primary rule, and it has one corollary that guides the entire universe. Follow this rule, and all war, famine, prisons, everything goes away. It's that simple. Here goes. You may not pass along the hurtful things that were passed on to you. That's the rule. Corollary, you must pass along the good things. I will repeat it because it's the only rule in the universe. Forget, forget, and, and, and no offense to relig organize religion, forget the Ten Commandments, forget everything, forget all the dicta, forget the narratives, forget all the books, forget all the theological treatises, forget all of that. Forget all the, the temples, forget the churches. Here's it, this is it, this is all we need. Everything else basically is hopefully moving us towards this. All of the, all of the organizations and the institutions and the divine human uh, institutions and, and, all of the, and all of the theological stuff and all of the priesthoods and all of the ministries and everything that we say and do, hopefully it's, it's, it's supporting this. But it, all of those things tend to have sectarian boundaries. This has no sectarian boundaries. And it's more powerful than anything else out there for the practical purpose of engendering hope and love. And that's got to be the end point of any religious institution or any religious proclamation. Generate hope and love across sectarian lines. Give everyone a reason to hope more than fear. And you do it this way. You do it willfully. 
You make an effort. You say, you identify. What are the hurtful things that were passed on to me? What do I hold within me that I've received? What are my fears, wherever I got them from? Probably, probably ancestrally. What are they? Let me identify them. Let me understand what actions in my life allow me to pass this on to the next generation as fear. Not, not justified, uh, 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 this, this is our tradition. What are the fears that I have? Well, I have no fears. We're, we're tough. We have a big military. We're, we're strong. We, uh, what, are, what are my fears? What, what is really just grinding away at me? And do I recognize that if I don't deal with them myself, I automatically, energetically pass this on to my progenitor, to, to the next generation, to my offspring, or to the people around me? Because energy interacts with other energy. I am an energy being. Everyone around me, all the other sentient beings around me are energy beings. And depending on the mass of love and hope versus the mass of fear, existing in any area or on the planet as a whole, one or the other will dominate in our actions. We will not evolve peacefully, rationally, beautifully, interactively, non-sectarianly together unless we can suppress our fears. That's the starting point. The stuff that we couldn't come anywhere near discussing yesterday at lunch but that's it. We must, 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 must begin talking about suppressing our fears. No political solution has held. We must begin by not being afraid. And I don't mean cowering in a corner, oh, you know, you know, shaking. No, the fear that basically makes people, it's the same fear, one of the, one of the avatars of fear, of course, is, is war, acting out, aggression. This is how we express our fears. And as long as that fear predominates, the, 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 the equally human thrust towards love and hope cannot be exercised with any effectiveness We've got to basically find a way to suppress our fears. Now, I, where does that leave us? Where does that leave you listening to me today? It, it, it leaves you understanding where the answer lies. It, 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 it may be just as to throw your hands up, oh, impossible. Well, that's, that's nice. But, but you see, it's the only the only way to approach a, an ultimate solution. And you begin the, pro you can begin this process on your own. And it may sound silly and it may sound corny, but peacefully find the opportunity to think peaceful, loving things. Intention is how you basically project feelings of love and hope. I want there to be peace. I want there to be, or maybe I pray, or maybe I, I go in and I talk to my church and I say, rather than, than jumping up and down and yelling and screaming, let's talk about suppressing our fears, 
our fear of the other side. And let's talk about elevating our hope. And let's find some kind of a ritualistic way of making this happen. And I, I, I don't doubt that there'll be some churches and some institutions that'll do that. I am sure that there'll be others who will, um, especially in the conservative Christian right and, and of course, within uh, the, 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 the more strident areas of Judaism and Islam, there will be uh, anger and, 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 and it, maybe the words will kind of sound like they're being positive and everything, but they're really just... Uh, hiding, uh, they're, 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 they're facilitating the same level of fear. for them. You will not walk away from any of that, any of these services, with any sense that you're being changed, that your direction is changing, that, or that you have to open up because fear is still presumed to be, and anger and hatred and, and, and retaliation is still presumed to be the only way to go. It's the only smart thing to do no matter how many times we teach ourselves exactly the opposite. Other than that, I don't have an answer. I, I don't know. I, I can't tell you no more than yesterday, uh, some of the brightest minds I know could come up or formulate some sort of answer to this. This is the answer I know, that we have to, each of us, has to suppress our fears and elevate hope and love. Otherwise, there's <laughs> we're going to have to leave it to people who can't suppress that fear to fight their way to whatever it is uh, passes for peacefulness. And I mean that within the American situation, our own internal politics, world politics, we're just going to come to another stalemate or somebody will really destroy someone else. And let's see where that goes because that brings in allies on all sides. It's an ugly, nasty, terrible situation. And until we accept the fact that no one can really win in any of these situations, that we can only somehow find a way to collectively move towards hope. And the opportunity is there, and it's going to take all kinds of action, but probably far less action or far less impossible action than many people would otherwise anticipate, simply because our long-term fears drive points of division between all of us. America is just getting to that level of hatred and fear between Democrats and Republicans. It was never like this in my lifetime before. It was approaching it, I, 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 I admit, but never encouraged, never set up this way, never this dumbed down. It, it, there's no reason for it. We can all remember, if you're old enough, we can all remember that Republicans and Democrats didn't have to hate each other. There had, didn't have to be absolute distrust and fear, total incapacity for communication. How different is that than what we're seeing, what, what might be driving what's going on with the Israelis? and the Palestinians, and, and, and the Ukrainians, and the Russians. How different is any of that? And we're walking right the hell into it. And our Constitution and everything about us says exactly the opposite. We are one nation. 
Okay, one nation, we recognize our differences, we recognize that's our strength. We recognize that all of the foreigners coming in here that have made this nation is what's made us strong because we found a way to accommodate. It's the world's greatest political experiment ever, ever, practical, governmental, governance experiment. And, 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 and it's there, it's for us to keep going, but we, we're just casually drifting away from it because, well, fear is easier to sell. And Donald's a hell of a good salesman. Do you understand what I'm saying? We, we've, got to, we've got to get a grip of, we, we've got to just somehow just get a handle on ourselves and recognize this. And I, 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 I will go more and more in this direction of talking about hope because I don't have all the details. I, I can't give you a strategic pathway to defeating the bad guys. I have my sense of who they are. But I also know that ultimately we must, the, the, the solution that we seek will require everybody giving up. We're back to progressivism. Hash it out, fight it out. Everybody gets something. No one gets everything. And the great experiment continues. That's making Amer that's the American example. And America is in the best position of all of these conflicts to resolve itself and get back to some level of, of rationality. And so, and so what happens this morning with, well, now, well, you know, okay, well, Joe Biden, say the Republicans uh, led by Donald Trump. Biden, Biden is the reason why uh, uh, the, the, the uh, Hamas attacked Israel. Oh, come on. Get over it. Cut the crap. Stop being idiots. Stop. And, and, and of course, oh, oh and, 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 our, and Bobby Kennedy Jr., RFK Jr., announces that he, no, I won't run for the Democrat. I am going to begin a third-party candidacy and make sure that Joe Biden can't possibly win. And I know people who are all, in their anger, are all set to support that. Because RFK Jr., whatever you think of him personally, is all about what he's against. I'm against this. I'm trying to. I'm trying to expose that. I'm going to show with a bunch of 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 Ill, 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 what they did with the vaccine and how horrible. But what are you for, by the way? What do you? What do you? What are you? What are you going to do that's good? What, how are you going to suppress fear? You want to hear about suppressing fear? The only real politician talking about it, and he gets he gets constantly. Joe Biden working together, common effort. People actually functioning and participating and America for everybody. This old guy who's beginning to dodder, but who was saying he was the only one out there actually going ahead and giving a vision of a future for this country based on the imagery that people understood when they first formulated it, knowing it would always need to be made back into a more perfect union because it would never be perfect. But you don't throw it away when you recognize just how many warts there are. There have always been warts there always will be this is not the moment to throw it away and yet that's what we see joe biden i don't care whatever else you think about him he has a vision an image of america being the continuation being a constantly evolving place based on a capacity of all sides to come to the table and work together he spent a lifetime doing has he made mistakes by god he has 
But on this one, on the most important issue of all, he is absolutely rock solid and correct. You may not like listening to him for a billion other reasons, but for the most important reason, for God's sake, give the guy a chance. We can work together and work this out. That is his thesis. Oh, he's just saying that. Yeah, he's, well, he damn well better be saying it. And if you look at his life in politics, he basically has pretty much lived that in the way he has worked with others across the aisle. This is the world he grew up in. Thank God he still imagines it possible because there's too many among us right now who don't. I, no solutions, no, no great uh, expositions of positions and situations, but this is where we are. And, I, and, I, and I, I offer you the notion that we must, we must find a way to elevate our hope and love for one another and for this country over our fears of one another and of others in this country. If we're going to survive, it's... It's moments like this that make you kind of, you know, look carefully and say, hey, um, this is serious. This is serious stuff. Please, uh, take, this, take this seriously. You may not pass along the hurtful things that were passed on to you. You must pass along the good things. It's the only rule. A little jazz.
listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. Um, we live in a time where we are able, with our marvelous analytical tools, to describe exactly what the problems are between one group and another and the things affecting the world, but we don't seem particularly good at solving them. That's because we're not recognizing what really needs to be done to solve anything. We must elevate love and hope over our fears.